Hi, my name is Jeff Bugby, and welcome to Film Church, a podcast about movies, filmmaking concepts, and the cinematic arts. This is the first episode, and you might be wondering, what is this podcast all about? Well, I'm not a film professional. Um, I like to refer to myself as an amateur in the classical sense. Uh, when I went to film school, I had a professor, Gene Youngblood, who talked about the origin of the word amateur, uh, which I believe came from France. Amateur means to love, or one who cultivates and participates in something, but not pursue it professionally. Now, my background, I, I did go to film school way back uh, in 98 through uh, 2003. I made a few short films, um, a short documentary. I even shot some 16mm film uh, for class. And I did some acting in some short films as well. So I, I definitely played around in the film arts. After film school, I decided to move to Portland, Oregon. The film scene in Portland wasn't so great at the time, 2003. So I got a regular old job and kind of went down a different path. And then I started doing film church. It was something I did at home where I invited friends and family over to watch rarely screened movies and discuss them. So maybe we'd just watch it. It wasn't a big deal. But my brother bought a, a video projector uh, way back when. This thing all got started. I don't even remember the year. I want to say 2008? No, 2006? Something like that. And... Uh, yeah, we just projected the video on the white wall above the fireplace. We didn't really have a real screen, but it worked really well. And I, the first thing that we did, I purchased all of the Hitchcock films on DVD. And we watched every single American-made Hitchcock film, starting with Rebecca in 1940, all the way through Family Plot in 1976. It was great. Um, I had... You know, the roommates, we all watched it. I had one of my coworkers who attended. He came to every single screening. Brandon, thank you. And yeah, it was, it was great. It was a, a very good education, something that I missed out on in film school. But yeah, so this podcast, we're going to cover some film school facts. And in this section, I dig into my vast collection of film school books or just film books uh, to share terminology and techniques used in making movies. Then another fun little tidbit is called Movie, movie Magic, magic, magic <laughs> You like that? Uh, so I'll be sharing interesting tidbits of movie history, either from vetted Wikipedia pages or film history books, or maybe something I find in the depths of the world cinema archives. Then finally, the last part of the podcast, the last half of the podcast probably, will be discussion around a particular film. That, uh, either I select or my guest will pick. We might even do something like film versus film, where I pick one and my guest picks one. 
and we talk about tidbits, bits and pieces, little fun parts of the movie, what we liked, how they did it maybe, and all sorts of fun stuff. So tune in. In this episode, we will cover Film School Fact Critical Flicker Fusion, Why Buying White Riot, a documentary, is timely and poignant, and finally, The Big Bus, 1976, with Jason Dinges. But first, it is time for... Movie Magic I do like that. This comes from Wikipedia. Uh, it is discussing the 2015 scene taking place in Back to the Future 2. In the 2015 scene, the film imagines the Chicago Cubs winning the 2015 World Series against the fictional Miami-based Gators, referencing the Cubs' long-standing failure to win a championship. In the actual 2015 season, the Cubs qualified for the postseason and their first postseason appearance since 2008. But the Cubs lost the National League Championship Series, not the World Series, to the New York Mets on October 21, 2015, which coincidentally was the same day as Back to the Future Day, the day Marty McFly arrived in 2015 in the film. Despite losing in 2015, one year later, the Cubs did win the 2016 World Series against the Cleveland Indians. The official Twitter feed for the Back to the Future franchise tweeted out that Marty and Doc's time traveling caused a rift in the space-time continuum that led to the 1994 strike and subsequent cancellation of the 1994 World Series, thus delaying the accurate prediction by a year. In the real 2015 World Series, the Kansas City Royals defeated the Mets to win their first World Series championship since 1985, the same year from which Marty and Doc time-traveled in the film. Film School Fact Today we talk about critical flicker fusion and apparent motion. Back when films were actually filmed on celluloid film strips in film cameras, we strung still images together to create the appearance of motion, or moving images, or what we refer to as, wait for it, movies. Critical flicker fusion is the ultimate visual trickery played on your brain, but it took a little extra work to get the fusion part worked out. This phenomenon is created with a series of images projected with light interspersed and split with blackness. In order to see motion, it takes about 48 flashes or frames of an image per second to make you think you see motion. Thomas Edison famously said that 46 frames per second was the minimum needed for the eye to perceive motion. Anything less will strain the eye. Flickering light is projected through a still photo and is split with two or three flashes of darkness as it is projected on a screen or is aimed at your eyeballs, making your brain think it sees a person walking or a car driving down the road. There was a time when flicks had a flicker. When cinema was born, 
movies were projected at 16 or 20 frames per second, making the silent era have a reputation for flickering. That's why we call them flicks. When crafty inventors figured out the magic number of 48 flashes a second, that is, at least 24 still images cut with two or three moments of dark before, during, and after the image, they enabled the creation, the illusion of flicker fusion. When the moving picture entrepreneurs worked to invent a new projector, they gave us 24 frames and 48 flashes of black, or sometimes even 72 flashes of light and dark per second. That means that in a pitch black theater, you are sitting in complete darkness for most of the film. Now, why does this all matter? Movies are not usually filmed anymore, right? There is mostly digital filmmaking going on today. But these concepts still apply. Cameras still have shutter control in order to give us what is referred to as apparent motion or illusory motion. Our perception of motion is created by the speed of still images passing before our eyes. Max Wertheimer, a psychologist working in 1912, found that when you flash two lights in a specific interval in a line, subjects of experiments observe motion. Think Vegas Casino signage with lights traveling in circles. We think the lights travel, but in reality they turn on and off, one next to the other in quick succession. Movie motion on screens are an illusion, but these mystical dances of shadow and light can certainly make us laugh, cry, and feel like we're looking into a window of the past, present, or future. Just think, if you had three TVs, you could transport yourself to the 1940s by viewing a hard-boiled detective noir, watch live news coverage, and Back to the Future 2. I mean, what would it be like to live in the year 2015? So I wanted to go over a documentary I came across. Uh, I still have not picked or watched it yet, but I have picked it up. Uh, you should rent it or buy it, whatever you feel a fancy for. I have not found it on any streaming service yet. But it's called White Riot, and it is a music documentary uh, that was released just last year in 2020. Here's the description uh, from Apple. Britain, late 1970s, punk is exploding. The country is deeply divided over immigration. The National Front, a far-right and fascist political party, is gaining strength as politicians like Enoch Powell push in a xenophobic agenda. Sound familiar? Outraged by a racist speech from Eric Clapton music photographer Rudd Saunders writes a letter to the music press calling for rock to be a force against racism. Anyway, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, I feel like this documentary would be a really good one to watch right now considering all of the stuff that is going on in the world today. Uh, check it out. You can find it pretty much anywhere. Uh, you might have to purchase it or you might have to rent it. Um, I did grab it on uh, iTunes. But yeah, check it out. White Riot from just last year in 2020. Okay, it is time. Next is my discussion with Jason Dinges covering the big bus from 1976. I hope you like it. Let me know. 
Jason, welcome to the show, and thanks for helping me launch my podcast. Hey, man, I'm just I'm just glad to be here in in any way, shape, or form. Hell yeah! You know, we go we go pretty far back uh, back to the old film school days in Santa Fe, That's New right. Mexico. That's right. It's been a long time. Can't, <laughs> I can't believe I can't believe it's been what twenty. Uh, it's been over 20 years since I showed up there. Yeah. So, right. And you were there before me. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. Pre, pre 2000. Couple, couple decades deep here, uh, away from college almost, you know? Right. Up oh, and there's, there's the, the dog checking in. Um, we're going to be hearing from Zeta and Gunnar occasionally, I'm sure. Oh, nice. Yeah. We're going to be probably hearing from my son. Possibly my wife. You know, my parents had a bowling partner uh, whose name was Gooner. Oh, really? They won a lot of championships. Yeah, Gooner and Denise. Hmm. We used to go hang out at their house and uh, and yeah, whatever. Anyway, I've never heard I've never heard anyone else named Gooner ever. Well, this is a dog. <laughs> well, but uh, it, it is a Swedish. I think it's Swedish background. So yeah, it's a, it's a very rare name. I've I've never seen it before heard it uh, from somebody like an actual person interesting yeah man gooner was a nice guy so um thank you for introducing me to this movie i i had not heard of the big bus yeah um it is uh a funny movie um <laughs> most I, I think it's pretty rare for someone to know of this film unless they grew up watching it or something like that but when was the first time you watched this movie? Two. Uh, well, you know what's funny is um, my best friend JP, who you've met, uh, mm -hmm. we I brought it up to him the other day, and I was all excited because I, my only memories of watching this movie are with him, and he's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> he's like, "What?" And you know, and then I mentioned a couple quotes he's like oh yeah that movie he's like yeah yeah yeah. i was like dude did you ever watch it or am i crazy he's like no i saw it i'm like okay is that, but you know this is like ooh, i don't know man for me fifth sixth grade or something mm -hmm. okay I, I mean it was like was uh, this was this a movie that you watched all the time like over and over or no, I think I was fortunate enough as a kid to have HBO. Ah. Um, and I think it cycled through the channel for a little while, you know, maybe, I don't know, a few months or a year. And I, you know, we got to watch it a couple of times. I don't think we ever made a copy of it on VHS or anything, but sure. it was just one of those that we caught and uh, thought it was hilarious. And uh, we would quote it all the time. You know, so I, it would have to be early, late 80s, early 90s when I first saw it. Gotcha. And it, yeah, it was made in 1976 or released in 76 anyway. Right. I, I do know it was put on television for um, off and on, you know, like normal TV. And they had to pull out some of the adult humor um, mm. to make it safe for TV. But um, unfortunately, I don't. I, yeah, right. Yeah, like most movies, it loses something when it gets edited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got the dick jokes make the movie, you know, uh, oh, uh, yeah. a slapstick movie, you know. Well, they don't right. make them, but they enhance them. Right. 
I mean, that's when they're, when you're talking about slapstick or a spoof or anything like that, it's, it's going to get a little iffy. <laughs> oh yeah. It's toilet humor, man. A lot, you know, those jokes, it's all about context though. You know, like the context in these movies is usually it's smart potty humor. You know what I mean? Potty mouth, uh, toilet humor. Right. And it's, it's, yeah, it, you could say sophomoric, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so one of the, the major tagline for this movie was at last the first disaster movie where everybody dies <laughs> laughing. Oh man. I love it. <laughs> and the, the movie poster, it's, it's pretty funny. I mean, it like, it's, it's like the, the end scene basically where you've got the, the bus hanging off the edge of the cliff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. a great, that's great, man. That whole scene's great and it looks great. And they got the truck hanging out of the front of it. And yeah, you know, there's a lot of cool, uh, there's a lot of cool work put into this movie. There's a lot of, there's a lot of cool, uh, you know, with any slapstick movie, it's a, it's a lot about props. It's a lot about visual mm-hmm. gags. It's a lot about, uh, production right. and design and art direction and like just just everything's a, a joke visual there's visual jokes everywhere right and i mean the the big bus is one big visual joke yeah absolutely i mean you got to look at everything you got to look yeah. at you got to look at every sign you got to look at the background actors you got to look right. at what they're wearing you got to look at where they're at you got to look at absolutely everything because there's a fucking joke everywhere and it's I would love to be like a, a prop master on a slapstick show. That must be so fun. Oh all, man. All these just, just there, there's some great sight gags. Yeah. With props for sure. For sure. I mean, it's just one of those, you know, just that kind of movie. Right. So, um, uh, so the big bus, uh, was written by Fred Freeman and Lawrence J. Cohen. Yeah. Partners. Yeah. Um, and I guess they were screenwriters on a bunch of TV shows like uh, Bewitched, Gilligan's Island, uh, The Andy Griffith Show. Dick Van Dyke, it. Phyllis Diller, Jack Parr, yeah. Joey Bishop. They right. went, they were, yeah, that's what I love about this movie. It's not written by, I guess what you would call the classic slapstick people. And right. it, it predates the classics. So these guys did something out of their wheelhouse and seem to have nailed it, in my opinion. Right. And but this, so this was 76, four years before Airplane came out. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, there was mention that, um, that on one of the vehicles at the beginning of the film, um, it's pulling up and it's like a radio station. And the call letters have is Z A Z something. I know there's Z A Z in it, but they were saying that was they were trying to reference oh uh, the 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 uh, airplane folks. Right? Uh, Zucker Abrams Zucker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know how you know that would work since this predates that film. Well, they were around. I mean, Kentucky Fried Movie came out in 1977. Right. So. That, so I mean, they were on the scene. Yeah, uh, I'd imagine. Yeah, I just kind of wonder if there was any kind of communication or, or yeah. something going. Yeah, because it seems like they they kind of beat them. If I mean, if they were if there was a, if there were a race, uh, I don't know if there 
uh, if there were a race in, in any way, uh, ZAZ didn't win it in a sense. But I mean, right. but you know, like Blazing Saddles was 74 and, mm-hmm. and Mel Brooks was already well established. It's, it's different, but similar. Right. Right. Well, I mean, slapstick, it goes way back. You know, way, yeah. way, way back. I'm just saying, like yeah. in terms of, um, like the the kind of style and the humor of the movies. Sure, Blazing yeah. Saddles is definitely a, in the same camp in a way, but not as a, I guess, campy. Well, it's another spoof, right? So it's yeah. spoofing another genre, which this is totally spoofing the disaster films that were popular during the '70s. Oh yeah, disaster movies, man, huge Love in the them. '70s, big, big time. Big time. And there was one that I have not seen that I'm sure, I mean, Airport. Yeah. I haven't seen that either. I haven't I seen would, hardly any. I would any love to. Yeah. I mean, Airport is definitely a, a obviously a huge influence, I'm sure, on Airplane. But right, whatever. There's uh, all sorts of shit. Well, just to kind of go off on a tangent, Airplane was inspired by Zero Hour. Is that is that right? shit i don't know man yeah there there was a was that, old, that was oh man i don't have that in my notes but it was um i want to say in the 60s and it was basically like the same movie almost in fact they, they uh got the rights to that film to do a, basically a remake just to cover their bases mm. um, but it was the same premise where a, a, a plane has to land and the, the pilot does not, uh, is not coherent or something. Oh, I got um, you. Well, I looked it up zero hours from 1957. Oh, even older. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I yeah. guess, air, I guess airplane is known as a actual parody remake of the, of the movie. I, n- I never knew that. Right on. Yeah. I w- that kind of came up in my research for this. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, airplane, that's a whole other episode. um anyway so yeah that was we were were talking about the writers there um the director james frawley Mm -hmm. um, he was actually known for the the muppet movie in 1979 that's right um before that he got his start uh working the monkeys tv show that's right yeah Um, man and not much else. Did you? But I did you right. see that the Muppet movie is in the National Film Registry by the Library it, of Congress? Did you know that? No. Yeah, that that makes sense though. I mean, that was kind of the one that really, at least in the, like the bigger sense, it it took off with the Muppets, right? Oh yeah, yeah, post, but post TV show. Yeah, but this James Frawley guy didn't seem to honestly direct or have too much. I don't, know, I don't know if it was films. A lot of these people are, they're TV folks, man. Right. Yeah. He, he definitely um, got started in TV, although he did have a couple of other features. Mm-hmm. His, his first film called the Christian licorice store in 1971. Whoa. And that actually had Bo Bridges starring in it. Love and then, Bo Bridges. Right. Um, I mean, he gave us Jeff. So, <laughs> and then um, that was followed up by Kid Blue in 1973 with Dennis Hopper. I think you, but, oh, wait a minute, real quick. I think you mm-hmm. mean Lloyd Bridges. No, it's it was Bo. Okay, I, well, Bo, sure. Bo and Jeff are brothers. 
Oh, right. And Lloyd is their father. And Lloyd, of course, is an airplane. You're correct. That's right. You know? That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Bo Bridges is, he's, he just seems so old <laughs> and, he, and he disappeared, you know, he didn't, he didn't stick around like his bro. Yeah. I mean, he's still active, but not, he's not a fucking Hollywood movie star anymore. Yeah. He's not the dude. He's not the dude. But, um, yeah. So kid, kid blue. Um, I, I looked at the, the trailer for that one. Dennis Hopper is really young in that film. Oh Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, but it's a it's a comedy western, so he definitely stuck with the comedies uh, for I think probably most of his directing uh, career. That James Frawley. Nice, yeah. That's his. That's his. Uh, that's his specialty. He's a co- he's yeah. a comedy man, right? That's cool. He, he even did a a film. Uh, I think the film right before is made for TV, The Lancy Street: The Crisis Within. And seventy-five, Mark Hamill was in that with Lewis Gossett Jr. Damn, among some other folks. So he he actually kind of, I don't help some take off in their careers for acting. Man, uh, those made-for-TV movies back in the day had such great people in them. Right. I mean, yeah. Any, uh. There was there was another. Um, I I think it was a pilot, if I, but the orphan and the dude in seventy-five. <laughs> <laughs> bring let's bring that back right well i've learned to not trust imdb so much anymore uh because in the description for that uh film somebody said this was the inspiration for the dude for the cohen brothers mm. and it's not just not no yeah i had to dig a little deeper for that one but anyway uh lots of tangents here mm-hmm. well it happens jeff <laughs> uh yeah so the score i just want to cover like all the main folks yeah uh, so the score was composed by david shire uh and he was known for the hindenburg which i've never seen but that was in 75 the conversation mm. which i have you seen that film you know gene, gene hackman i whew, man i don't know i don't i'm gonna say no because if i I, if I did, it was probably in college, and I just don't remember. I don't, but I know that movie. I know of that movie, of course. But I really don't know if I've seen it. Yes, I, I don't necessarily remember the score in particular, but it was a very sound-oriented film. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very good. Anyway, he also did a Short Circuits uh, score in '86. Oh, great! I love that. Now, some of that was shot here in Oregon, man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Short I remember circuit. seeing that movie in the theater when I was a kid. It's awesome. Short Circuit 2. Underrated. Yeah. <laughs> so the sequel. Good. Oh, yeah. yeah. You always make more money. So good. But I guess um, the score was never really released um, until 2011. They released it at like limited edition CD. Oh, of, of which movie? Of The Big Bus. Oh, really? So, yeah, David Shire's score for The Big Bus. I'm honestly surprised they would even release the score for this movie. What interest is there to, to own it? Any, you know, people don't even know about the movie. Right. Yeah. It's, it wasn't even like really re-released or I mean, I, I was looking to see if there was like a commentary track somewhere and there's, there's just nothing that I, as far as I can tell. It must be because, because the composer has a name for himself and it must be part of for him or something. I don't know. I don't know if the movie, 
would warrant a, a release, a physical release of the sound or the score. That's kind of right. Weird. Well, there's, I guess, there's this group, uh, Film Score Monthly, mm, oh. and and they re-release stuff. Well, that's cool, man. They don't let shit die. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I keep that Oriental Lounge jamming. <laughs> oh my god. The production designer. Let's talk about him for a sec. Um, oh yeah. Joel Schiller. Um, he al- he also worked with um, James Frawley on Kid Blue, so they they kind of got an early start together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Schiller went on. Uh, he did Lenny production design, mm-hmm. and also the Muppet movie. Yeah, see, I kind of looked into that too, and what I've noticed, it, even with some of the cast, a lot of this is incestuous. A lot of these people actually, but I mean, besides the writers basically being partners. There's a lot of these people have crossed paths in their careers either before or after this movie, which I was I found interesting. Well, I mean, the film industry is very. I, I want to be careful with the word I use here, but um, <laughs> you said it already. Incestuous. <clears throat> well, you know, I mean, but you know, if you have a experience with someone and it was a pleasant experience and you like their work and you're have any pull in the hiring mm-hmm. process you're going to want you're going to have your suggestion oh, yeah you know what i mean so i mean you know, it's, it seems like a lot of people about... liked working with each other and made, made it mm-hmm. happen a couple times you know right yeah don't get me wrong i mean that any any job you want to work with people that do the thing right and show right. up on time <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, if you're yeah. not 15 minutes early, you're late. Exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, don't you know it? I want to talk a little bit about like the subgenre. So you know, this is technically like a disaster comedy, which is mm-hmm. very, very small. There's mm-hmm. not really that many disaster comedies. Yeah. Um, you know, Airplane and its sequel. Um, the no, the I think the most popular at least it you know it predates this film actually um for comedy that is very disastrous would be dr strange love or how i learned to stop worrying and love the bomb from Mm. 1964 man you know i just saw some little criterion collection video where matthew modine was looking through a bunch of dvds i guess criterion collection has these little videos they make for instagram or whatever Mm -hmm. and uh modine worked with kubrick uh, you know Oh yeah, right. Full metal jacket. Full metal. Mm-hmm. He taught. He had a kind of. He pulled out the um, Doctor Strange love and uh, talked about how he had a conversation with Kubrick about it and how Kubrick didn't intention. He didn't set out to make a comedy, but after thinking about it, he's like, the only thing I can do. It's so the nuclear war and the atomic bomb. It's like it's all so absurd. Right. That it has to be a comedy. I can't do anything. It's so fucking absurd of a concept that I can't. I can only make a comedy. And I, yeah, I didn't know he thought of it that way. Because yeah, that is interesting. I believe it was based on a book too. And that that film, I would actually love to go into depth on at some point. Um, I'm sure there's been quite a few people doing that, but um, that movie is one of my top ten for sure. Yeah, it's yeah, and it's absolutely hilarious too. Yeah, oh yeah, Peter Sellers just steals the show. Yeah, and I don't know if the book's funny or meant to be funny. 
I never read the book if it, you know, but right. Uh, movie sure is funny. We'll have to find out. Uh, one of these days, maybe tonight. Right. <clears throat> um, so it, I, I kind of want to do this thing, you know, since this is the first one um, where I, I don't want to ruin the movie for anybody yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're going to get to a point where we're going to warn that we're going to start ruining it for everybody. <laughs> so yeah. um, so I, I've written up this uh, description of the film. Um, okay. It goes like this. A father invents and his daughter designs the first nuclear-powered double-decker articulated bus, complete with a swimming pool, single-lane bowling alley, captain's dining room and chef's kitchen, luxury bathroom and tub, and piano bar lounge. The big bus is built to end the dark ages of mass transportation and to mark the dawn of a new day in bus travel. An oil tycoon and his brother set out to stop the new bus line company by bombing the megabus on its maiden voyage. Now we can completely ruin the movie for everyone. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> right. So at the very beginning of the movie, a bomb goes off, right? Uh, yeah, in the parking lot when they when they're before they board the bus before their nonstop journey from New York to Denver begins because <laughs> that's the that's the trip nonstop right. from New York to Denver but yeah nonstop. during the big press conference um there's an explosion in the building or no is or is it after he sneaks in at night the the morning before they're supposed to leave there's an explosion am I right about well, that well no so at the very beginning you get the explosion and it injures the main drivers oh Right. right, and he plants a bomb on the bus the night right. before. Exactly. Right. There's two bombs, that's right. Right. Yeah, and Dan, so they, they had recruited Dan Torrance, right, to take over as captain bus driver. And right, then, and that's very like like airplanes. Like, who can fly this plane? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, the who, can drive the, who can drive this bus? You know, and they're like... <laughs> They're in a mad scramble to find a last second replacement. He has, he has two weeks or something to learn the bus. I guess it's not the day the explosion didn't happen the day before they took off. I guess the beginning scene is a press conference and then the bus is supposed to take off a couple weeks later. And that's when Dan Torrance shows up after the drivers get killed or injured or whatever. No, they're right. injured. They're injured because yeah. they, have, they have funny injuries and I can't remember exactly what they are. I didn't write them down. Yeah, um, yeah like... something ridiculous. Uh, his his shifting arm, <laughs> yeah. his shifting arm is busted. <laughs> oh my god! But um, another thing I love about that is, so you know, we talked about shoulders. Yeah, uh, and uh, Dan Torrance wants shoulders to be his co-driver, and the hiring of shoulders because Kitty, her name's <laughs> Kitty. I forget her last. Kitty Baxter. Who's played yeah. by Stockard Channing, who is Rizzo in Greece. Right. Uh, she's like Dan Torrance's ex. There's always an ex. It's just like Airplane Man. It's like the same love story, same kind of whatever. Yeah, that's one of the the crossovers. There's the the love interest. But if Airplane's a remake or whatever, it's just like uh, Zero Hour, I guess. They're just right. Yeah, but this style was like, it, what was he in a, a 
the graveyard talking to his dad, the, <laughs> the crowd of people doing the same thing. It was a very then, busy graveyard. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was fun. And then, uh, Kitty shows up mm-hmm. and, and, the the sound kind of goes down and it like the whole tone changes. And then they start talking back and forth. Do you, do you remember that exchange? Like it was like ridiculous lines. Like you look good. I look good. <laughs> did you write that one down? Uh, it, no, it, I didn't. Like, I didn't write down the dialogue from the the <laughs> cemetery scene, but I do love that leaves were falling randomly just over them because it was all sunny and nice all around. But over them, right. it, it was a Casablanca. They got their like trench coats on, their khaki like dusters or whatever. And yeah, there's just leaves falling over them. It's that scene. I was gonna say it was like a noirish style romantic scene right yeah that was good and that's uh, when he yeah, got so, hired yeah yeah so and then he insists that shoulders be his co-driver right mm-hmm. and he had to fit into the his suit is that right <laughs> yeah sh- shoulders he had to be he had to wear a 43 long but he, he only wears a 44 <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah then dan makes some comment like uh if i can if i can fit into uh whatever the injured driver's shoes this guy can fit into these pants so he's like basically saying i'm wearing my shoes are too small but i i'm wearing them right (laughs) they have to wear the injured driver's uniforms or they can't drive the bus (laughs) right right that that cracks me up man (laughs) So then, so yeah, so she agrees to let shoulders in on the gig and on the launch day, you know, we, we get the, um, 2001 thus spoke Sprack Zarathustra that, you know, the 2001 theme that, uh, bus is coming out of the, the hangar, the bus barn, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And then that's when we learn that Shoulders has uh, uh, a problem, and why he's actually called Shoulders. <laughs> yeah, we do. <clears throat> the sound that he makes whenever he like passes out. It's like, <clears throat> yeah. Like, uh, like <laughs> every, a, every single time. Or a, a whimper. Just like... <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good, man. He's, yeah, because... Yeah, he's shoulders because he can't stay off the shoulder. Right. <laughs> but he also can't handle pressure and he just passes out. Right. And anytime there's movement. It's is that what it he is? Passes, yeah, he said anytime uh, <laughs> there's movement, he'll, he might pass out. <laughs> and he's driving a bus. Movement. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I feel like that was something uh, that kind of crossed over with the airplane too, but maybe not. The, I guess just like the, the whole idea that he, he was afraid of flying. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I mean, the, the they have to face fears. Like, uh, man, I'm having a hard time remembering the main character in Airplane's name. Um, but the pilot, Stryker. Uh, fuck, Tom? Yeah. Tom Ted? Ted Stryker? Or is it Ted? Yeah, because he's like an ex-military pilot, but he's had a bad experience and then dan torrance is a disgraced bus driver and then later in the movie he 
there was a scene I'm sure we'll talk about, but they got to like face these fears and get over them and uh, right. uh, kick ass basically for the greater good of the passengers. Uh, but <laughs> there's also HQ where Ned Beatty is because Ned Beatty's in everything. Um, right. And that's very Lloyd Bridges and airplane. You know, there's like that guy directing and giving advice and stressing out. And uh, it's funny and all that stuff. Yeah. Ned, Ned Beatty's character, Shorty Scotty. That's <laughs> Hey, Shorty. Uh, <laughs> and it, 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 there's that scene at the beginning too, when uh, they're like load, loading up the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the nuclear reactor. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. In. Yeah, he goes in. Uh, he's he's having trouble getting it into the canister. Um, it's highly, it's highly like, it, it very radioactive um, material. Yeah, it's, it's radioactive. It's like uranium or something, and it's they're outside a room, wearing protective gear and using basically a claw machine and the controls to drop the tube into the canister, mm-hmm. and it keeps missing the mark. And uh, Ned Bay just walks in with a handkerchief and a cigar, just like grabs it and puts it in. And they're like, thank you. Like it's normal. There's just like highly, highly volatile, dangerous situation with strict safety protocols. And then Ned Beatty, they just walk in and fix it. (laughs) Yeah. And he he goes to shake um, the professor's hand and he's like, no, no, no. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I just didn't. I just hit my mic. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, that shit's funny. Just uh, yeah, yeah. There's so many moments. I mean, I feel like this film is just um, if you if you miss one joke, there's another one right around the corner. Yeah, I mean that's what it's all about, man. It's just joke after joke, and there's a story in there. Yeah, there's yeah, a couple. So it, there's a couple uh, uh, th- threads going. You know, there's people to follow. There's there's characters, there's drama going on in the bus. There's the love story. There's the bus itself, the drama of that. There's shit happening back in HQ. There's the the designer, the father, Kitty's father. There's his whole situation back in the parking lot. There's all sorts of shit going on in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, so he he gets um, taken out by, what was it, a St. Christopher's Medal? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so... The doctor, the parking lot doctor, uh, who was uh, J.R. Ewing uh, from the show Dallas. That's right. Oh, uh, and Shoulders, I think, was in Dallas. The guy, the actor, yeah. he was big. He was all over Dallas. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. John, his, name's, looked, his name's John Beck, Shoulders, and he was yes. de- definitely in Dallas. Yeah, he... Um, that that makes sense. I, I, I knew that there was some crossover there. I mean, there's a couple of crossovers that's what i'm saying about that if there, there are people whether on the cast or the crew that did stuff together but it seems there like a lot of people are linked outside of this film but they're not linked they're just linked on a, another movie or another show and yeah then, a, lot, a lot of tv yeah and this movie but this movie has like this weird web that i like yeah it's the the cast was I mean, you if you watch old TV, you're gonna recognize a lot a of lot. people. Yeah, a lot of people. Um, you know, aside from Stalker Channing and her success with Grease, um, which came after this, actually, yeah, yeah. which is crazy. Pre Grease. 
Um, Professor Baxter was Harold Gould. Um, so that was her father in the movie. Uh, he was yeah, a, the man, he was the man in, the in the parking lot. He was what? In the sting? The sting, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 73. Um, and then Dan Torrance was Joseph Bologna. But I, I guess he, he did some comedy stuff, but um, lots of television as well. Blame, yeah. it on, blame it on Rio. I don't, I don't think I ever saw that. Blame it on Rio in 84 with Michael you, Michael Caine. I think the big the big thing was the nanny. For him? Yeah, I mean like or for that I saw like the biggest thing like people today might know him from it okay. would be the, the nanny. Gotcha. Cuz I mean that was everywhere. Right. Well, and then that Ned Beatty, I mean, he he was in uh, Network and then 76 as well, which is one of my favorite films. Yeah, I remember you introduced uh, me to Network. Yeah, I remember I watched Network the day I got laid off, and it made me feel really, really good watching that movie. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm mad as hell. <laughs> um, and then Deliverance, of course, for, for Beatty. And I, I remember him primarily in Superman. Yeah. Otis. Yeah. Superman and Superman two. Yeah, but there's like that that joke. I can't remember where it came from. That he is in every movie ever made because you just he's pretty prolific. He's just why yeah. is Ned Beatty? He's a star, but he he plays a lot of supporting roles, and uh, he's just like oh Ned Beatty's in this movie. Of course, he's in like a scene or two. Like, right. Ned, of course, Ned Beatty's in this movie. Why wouldn't he be? He's in everything. <laughs> so like Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Um, oh, and then so going back to John Beck, um, I didn't make the connection, but he was in Sleeper, the Woody Allen film from '73. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you ever see Sleeper? Mm-mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. You'd you'd love it. It's very slapstick. Um, takes place. Uh, you know, in like kind of in the future, it's like he's he wakes up in the future from some accident. But um, yeah, John yeah. Beck. Yeah, man, he he was in a bunch of shit, bunch of. I mean, he was in that movie Rollerball. That's a classic. Oh yeah, that's right. he was he was in a bunch of early TV, man, and he did what like Gunsmoke, Bonanza, Mission Impossible, Mod Squad, I Dream of Genie. He was actually in Days mm-hmm. of Our Lives. In like uh, 1966. Oh, wow. Can you yeah. that shit? Yeah, old school. Yeah, but yeah, Dallas was, I think, what most people know him from. That seems to be his most famous role, whoever the hell he played. Right. But, you know, he was in like Matlock, Murder, She Wrote, Walker, Texas Ranger. Also, the dude's just a TV guy. Yeah, it seemed like he got got some some roles on lesser known films but not not too much not too much man well and then there was uh father kudos mm-hmm. you remember that guy yeah with the uh, he wasn't quite sure he really wanted to be a priest yeah a priest that had lost his faith he's got some good lines too man oh yeah yeah well that was rene um yeah and he was um he was in mash the original 70s film 1970 mm-hmm. um and i i never watched the star trek but deep space nine he was he was on that show that like the entire time it was uh odo i guess right yeah 
So if you're a big fan of that show, you'd recognize him. He's pretty young in this movie. Pretty young. He looks like he's maybe, maybe late 30s, 40s. Yes, yeah, sounds about right. I, think, I don't know. Probably th- mid 30s, I would guess. He's got Which some... is what um, Stalker Channing was also like 33 or something like that. Pretty young. She is pretty young. Yeah. But this this guy, Rene Aubergenois or whatever, mm-hmm. the priest, he's got Portland connections. Did you see that? Oh, no. Really? Uh, he was in the movie First Cow, which was shot here. I didn't work on that, but a bunch of like my friends did. Whatever. <laughs> um, that was I can't, I can't remember the director. God damn it. I'm spacing. But the director did another movie here in Portland that I also can't remember the name of. Anyway. <laughs> uh, and he was also in, I think, just one episode of The Librarians, which okay. I worked on season four. But he, I don't know what season he was on, but I was, I never worked with him. But anyway, he's definitely worked and shot some shit here in, in town. Yeah. Well, that, uh, so Renee was pretty prolific. I mean, especially on the voice acting side for TV, lots of different shows. Archer, um, man. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, and then there was the old lady who he interacted with uh, character wise. Oh, yeah. She's the best because you know who that is. Yeah. Maude. Maude, dude. Yeah. And and she's the crazy neighbor in Rosemary's Baby. She's the right. freaky devil worshiping old lady <laughs> in Rosemary's Baby. Yes. Yeah, so Ruth Gordon. She um, she did a lot of comedy, too, I guess. Every which way but loose with yeah. Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, old school too. She um, had her own heyday with Harold and Maude. Yeah, Harold and Maude, man. She was, uh, she she had a res- resurgence, or she was probably her most popular when she was older, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, that was, yeah, I mean, that movie was, it's a classic. Fucking Rosemary's Baby, obviously, classic as well. And yeah. I, I, feel, I feel like someone in the crew, um, also worked on Rosemary's Baby. I know there was a connection mm. I saw. It was the art director or someone yeah. someone from the big bus worked on Rosemary's Baby with Ruth Gordon. It's like Yeah, I think it was behind the scenes. Um Yeah. That's what I'm saying about that. There's these tiny little connections. Right. You know. It's a sick small community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but not, um, I, I feel like there's always a lot of crossover. Um, yeah, smaller back then. For sure. Let's see. So then uh, the old lady, there was, um, oh, yeah, Camille. Camille Levy, Lynn Redgrave. Right. She, her role was kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's, yeah. The, she's the rich... I mean, you see, you see that role in a lot of movies, the rich lady in furs that mm-hmm. just kind of talks down to everybody and, you know, but, um, there, we find out that she's there to kill Dan Torrance. Right. Because the foot that he ate was her father's. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That. So we even got like a bit of a murder mystery kind of rolled into this bus trip. Yeah. And that's kind of her role. It's very uh, clue-ish, you right. know, like it, she plays that rich 
lady that definitely seems like she's hiding something. And, you know, her character in the movie just wants to have sex with everybody and kind of does. And she wants to kill Dan and, you know, drink. But, you know, when I looked her up, the actress, I was Mm -hmm. shocked to find I didn't know who this woman was because she looks so familiar. Right. But she plays the role so well that I'm sure more famous actresses have played that I thought I knew her. And I really don't know who this lady is. Do you remember the movie Shine from 96? I mean, yeah. I, I know Jeffrey of Rush. it. Yeah, I never watched it. Gotcha. It, it was, um, she played his love interest in that film. Okay. Gods and Monsters um, in 98 as well. Right. But I think her, her big like solo thing was uh, Georgie Girl in 66. And I, I haven't seen that one or Gods and Monsters. So I can't Neither really speak I. to those. Yeah. But uh, uh, too many movies. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. And then, uh, so we had the the divorcees or soon to be divorced couple. Oh yeah. See, and these are those two other two classic actors. Yeah, yeah. There's another crossover there for Mash. Um, right. With uh, Sally Kellerman, mm-hmm. who played Sybil Crane, and then Claude Crane, played by Richard Mulligan. Yep. He was huge in TV, Soap, Soap Empty yeah. Nest. In Empty Nest, this is yeah. another thing. Uh, the writers, they Fred Freeman and Cohen, Lawrence Cohen, wrote for Empty Nest. Oh, okay. And um, I want to say, uh, I want to say there was another, uh, maybe... James Frawley, the director, directed a little bit of Empty Nest too. I feel like there's another crew member that did some Empty Nest. Anyway, yeah, there's that another fucking connection. Well, that was a that was a pretty popular show. Um, yeah, not that I remember watching it or anything. I'm not I that. I just old. remember it being on. I, I remember it, but I didn't right. watch it. Right. Yeah, I just remember it was on for a while. Mm-hmm. And soap that was a big one too. Yes, yeah, soap was great. Seeing like some reruns or something on TV back. In I the just day. remember uh, when when they brought it to Comedy Central because it was before my time really on television. Or when it, if it was on television, I did not pay attention. And then Comedy Central, way back in like the early '90s, early mid '90s, started showing it on the show, right? Uh, or on the channel, and uh, you know. JP, the guy that we would watch the big bus got me into soap and it's a lot of the same. It's just ridiculous humor. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, it's the same vein, same vein. Yeah. It's yeah. I need to, I need to revisit that show, honestly. And you know, Mona from who's the boss is in it, you know? So, oh, that's right. Yeah. I remember seeing a couple of episodes. Um, funny man. It's a funny show. I wonder if that's on Netflix or Hulu or something. Yeah, that might be worth to look it up. Um, but you know how I know Sally Kellerman the most because she played Hot Lips O'Houlihan in the Mash movie, mm-hmm. right? right? Just the movie, right? Not she yeah, worked. not the show. Yeah, did she got a supporting actress uh, Oscar nomination for that? Oh, really? For that movie, yeah. Yeah, that's oh. a movie that it's been on my list to watch for a long time. I bet it's hilarious. I've never, you know, I never really got into the show. My old man's way into MASH and he would watch it and I just couldn't get into it because whatever. I don't know. Oh, why. yeah. I, I never, I could never really stand the show, but I, I want to see the movie because it, you know, it inspired the, the series. And 
Gotcha. And okay. The show had some moments, but the the movie supposedly is just you know what inspired the whole thing. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. I I didn't even really know the movie was the predecessor to the show. Well, do you do you know where Sally was shining before all of this? Uh, particular no. episode. No. Of one of your favorite shows of all time. No. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek episode three, oh, where no man has gone before. You know, I did. I did read that. I was like, huh. Yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go back and check that out because that's when she was. She was younger. younger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I even ever really recognized that in the show when I watched the episode. Right. Yeah. She. Um, I think she looked a little different, like way younger. You could. There's some photos on IMDb. I have to look. I have to check it out. Because I, I personally know her from Back to School, the Rodney Dangerfield movie. That's like, oh yeah, my mm-hmm. introduction to Sally Kellerman in my life was Back to School, and I love that movie. Um. That but I also, I also found out that she's the voice of Miss Finch in Follow That Bird, the Sesame Street movie, which is an awesome movie, by the way. Oh, that, was that the first yeah. Sesame Street movie? Well, I don't know if it was the first, maybe. But, you know, when Big Bird runs away or like yeah. whatever. But, you know, oh, right. Waylon Jennings is in that movie, man. <laughs> Heck yeah. That's, that's all you got to say. <laughs> Um, but you know, someone that we did mention on the crew anyway, is, uh, the, uh, DP, the director of photography. Oh yeah. Harry Stradling Jr. He, he did some stuff that I enjoy. Uh, he did Caddyshack too, which I think is underrated. Oh yeah. Um, but before that he did, um, well first he did a bunch, a shit ton of episodes of Gunsmoke, but he did... Support your local gunfighter, which, you know, that movie and support your local sheriff. And uh, I think there's another one, but these old James Garner comedy Westerns. I love those movies. Uh, He did that. And then he also did Dirty Dingus McGee, (laughs) (laughs) which I have not seen, but I'm well aware of. Um, it's It's a Frank Sinatra comedy Western. And you know who else is in it? No. George <laughs> Kennedy from Police Squad in the Naked Gun. Oh. Movie. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. Which are my absolute favorites. Interesting. Yeah, there's so many so many connections. I, I, I mean, like most most films like these these people get around, right? Yeah, but it's it's cool to see all the the little intertwinings. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I don't look at people's IMDb's really unless I'm like, who the fuck is that person? But when I was looking into this, I literally just went down the cast and crew and started clicking on everyone to see what they've done. And there were a lot of connections, just random, seemingly random connections. Oh, yeah. Like they're not buddies, you know, they just happen to work on a couple things together. Right. But it all comes back. You know, it's like the <laughs> six degrees of the big bus or whatever. Do you have a favorite scene from the movie? <sighs> favorite? The big bus. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
if I necessarily have a favorite scene, I've got some, I've got some favorite lines in a, in a way there's, there's just funny stuff. Like the, the, the beginning, the whole uh, introduction scene in the parking lot where they're getting the press together and the bus does the little short rounder and they pick up <laughs> and they go back to where they got picked up and dropped off. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I love, almost missed that. I almost I, missed it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I had love, to back it up and watch it again. Yeah. I mean, I love stuff like that, you know? Um, but the, uh, the fight scene in the bus driver bar, the bus stop bar, the bus stop. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, slapstick fight scenes are always great. There's like, but I mean, bus driver humor, you know what I mean? Like they're, right. they're, there there's bus driver uh uh like uh insults and uh there's slang and then they're talking to each other like bus drivers would talk to each other right <laughs> and it's just super funny you know and uh that's when you meet the dan torrance the the hero of this movie the, right. the once um I guess disgraced bus driver that is rumored to have eaten 237 passengers on Mount Diablo during a bus crash. And, uh, <laughs> you eat one lousy foot and they call you a cannibal. <laughs> exactly. He's like, he's like, he's like, I, I ate the seats and the luggage and the floor mats, just like they taught us. <laughs> and then, yeah. He just talks about how he made his co his co driver is the one that ate the passengers. And he ended up accidentally eating a stew that had a foot in it. And he didn't know it had a foot in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and that's, you know, but they get into a fight and that guy's shoulders shows up who ends up being his co-driver on the nuclear bus, which shoulders you know, O'Brien shoulders O'Brien. Yeah. Um, but you know, he, they get enough, he goes and they're, um, getting into it. And, you know, another, another really great actor, cause this cast has got some hidden gems, but Vic, yeah. Vic Tayback is in it. The bald guy, you know him from that show, Alice, he's the cook. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's in this scene. He's like, that's the, right. The, whatever. He's kind of a angry bus driver. He's mad. at. Oh yeah. Barn. He's the one that calls him a double clutching lane changing <laughs> road hog. <laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. And then like uh, shoulders grabs a, a quart milk carton and he, breaks it he breaks it on the bar and he's like he's got a milk carton and he's just he's like got a broken milk carton and then the other guy grabs a candle and breaks like he's got a candle and they have (laughs) fucking yeah it's ridiculous yeah hilarious i mean that's i mean if there was a scene that i would have to say is my favorite it's it's kind of that but once they get on the bus there's a lot of funny stuff that happens you know Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think the, the setting the tone or like building this world around these bus drivers, the the fact that they have their own bar. <laughs> as soon as he walks in, it, they're all like giving him the stink eye, and they yeah. start like clicking their punch their punches. Yeah, like their, the bus tickets. <laughs> Total. It is just the seedy underbelly of uh, bus driver life, you know. Well, they all, they all have like a color name, right? Come on, whitey, blacky, goldy, greeny, yeah. Pinky, greeny, brownie, 
Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is a good scene. Oh man. Okay. Oh, uh, uh, then we then there's the um the bad the bad guys right the the oil tycoons. Uh, yeah. Or the the um, the Iron Man in the Iron Lung, and his yep. brother. Yep. His yeah. brother Alex, right? Uh, I think so. I never, I honestly didn't really catch the brother's name. Really, I was looking for it. She was like, I didn't even ever catch his name when I was. Yeah, uh, the only reason I got it was because it was in the credits, and then I had to look up the actor, and I kind of connected all the dots. But apparently, his name is Alex. Hmm, yeah, I didn't really catch that in the movie. I didn't look for it in the credits, but I'm sure you noticed that the 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 man who plays Iron Man uh, was in Dune. Yes, Jose Ferrer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's um, isn't it like the uh, the emperor? Something like that. Who's handing off? I don't know. Yeah, um, I I didn't quite make that connection at first because he's laying down in this iron lung, and you don't really. Yeah, with see a, him yeah, with a his mirror on his, yeah he's got a mirror kind of <laughs> on his face he's just laying down the whole time uh <laughs> basically concocting a evil fiendish plan because it's family business like his grandpa sank the titanic and i get he's like tell like who do you think killed the electric car he's like my grandpa <laughs> sank the titanic you know and he's talking about how he's like we don't want to destroy because uh, it's called it's called um cyclops nuclear project and the, the bus is coyote coyote bus like we don't we don't want to destroy Cyclops. It's like we want to discredit them. So you know, nuclear powered buses are, are never happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, so it's not going to threaten their their oil right uh, industry. Right. Yeah. Was uh he, he took care of the electric car and the solar engine. Oh, the solar engine. Yeah. Yeah. I I wrote that down because like, what is a solar engine? Oh, would I. We'll never know because. You... <laughs> uh, how about how about electronic earthquakes? <laughs> what is how do you electronically create an earthquake? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Well, there's some there's some theories out there, some new world order order theories out there that believe that there there can be some man made earthquakes and um, man, I've talked about it on my show. A couple times but i can't exactly remember how they do it but yeah there's there there is a way to create earthquakes mm-hmm. and to basically scare the shit out of people and get them to do what you want them to do uh and, well, this, this had to have been like cutting edge technology in 76 maybe right i mean, uh, I mean weather, weather manipulations yeah weather manipulations kind of been a thing for a long time or uh, you know, uh, who, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I was born in 1980. I don't know what it was all about in 1976. Right. But uh, we got our movies. Yeah. They, 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 these people have powers beyond my, my knowledge. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, kind of the thing, I guess when, when you're rich, you can kind of get away with whatever you want. And plus it's a comedy. So it's just like, say whatever you want. It doesn't matter. It's a car. Yeah. It's a fucking cartoon, essentially. Right. You know. Yeah. Well, they, there was that moment too with where Alex was getting jealous of his his iron lung brother, the Iron yeah. Man. Yeah. <laughs> he got the skates and he got the sled. 
<laughs> and he even got that iron lung. Yep, the iron lung. It's like twins, you know? It's like Arnold got all the good stuff and Danny DeVito got all the crap genes, you know? So there's always that little brother that just uh, got shit on. Right. <laughs> So that was that was around like so they you know started out and uh, were, were plotting to to blow stuff up. Yeah, man. So uh, you know when they when they go out for I mean the whole the whole fucking movie is they introduce the bus they the drivers get hurt people are trying to sabotage the bus the new drivers come in they go out on the trip and then a bunch of crazy shit happens because either with the bus or with the passengers within the bus. And uh, then they end up hanging over a cliff and they get, they save themselves and yada, yada, you know, pretty, pretty basic folks. Uh, But when they get finally get on the road and the road trip is started, they start, they have to test all of the bells and whistles on the bus. So Ned Beatty, Shorty is calling to Dan, like, you know, uh, it's like Houston to the shuttle. They're, they're calling out, uh, test. Yeah. Mission <laughs> so they, control back there. Yeah. Yeah. They like, they have to, they test the jettison in <laughs> of, <laughs> of tires. So <laughs> the bus is just rolling down the road. And <laughs> one of the fucking tires just, blows off they just blow it off <laughs> just <laughs> like a fucking rocket just blows off the, to the side of the road and then the replacement tire comes down from <laughs> the top right. why they're just moving and they're just exploding tires flying off and they're just they're just testing you know they're just, this is just a test <laughs> gotta make sure it works <laughs> and then the automatic wash mechanism the awm the self-cleaning where it's rolling down the road and these huge roller brushes come down the sides and the top and there's all this soap and water just flying off the bus because it's moving but it's getting cleaned and that comes into play later in the movie because it you know when they're trying to save the bus the right kind of gets in dan's way but right. they're they also have to test the aerodynamics which means he needs to get up to 90 miles per hour and you're like but there's a cop but Dan, like Dan, Dan won't abort the test, and he's just like blowing through these this little town, and fruit stands are getting destroyed and blown over, and he's blasting out windows at gas stations because it's a fucking massive nuclear bust trying to go ninety, and they're trying to test the aerodynamics of the the bus at ninety, and then they finally hit it, and they're like. We're breaking wind at 90. <laughs> the wind barrier. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And then, yeah, <laughs> the, that's the test. The, the test that they had to do, just casual tests, causing just, just wreaking havoc on the unsuspecting public. I love it. I mean, how, did, how, did they, uh, how did they find the bomb? Wasn't there something jammed? And he had to go back. And Kitty was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm the designer. Yeah, there was um fuck man. Wasn't it a tire? Like, I feel like it had something to do with a tire. Yes, something was you're right. I can't remember. I didn't write it down. Something was jammed, something was locked up, 
and they had to manually go do it. And he, Dan went and did it and he found a bomb and he, she breaks out the Jane's book of bombs. Yeah. Jane. To, yeah. To, to defuse <laughs> the bomb. And Dan's just like, I'm cutting the yellow wire. And he, he cut a wire and it didn't explode. And they go back and they start celebrating. And uh, he's, he's just like, Oh, by the way, it's like, I cut the blue wire and then a, the bomb goes off. Right. So I, I actually wrote down this, um, this monologue from Kitty. So here's how it works. It's got a single hand timing mechanism, four wires at the top. One of these wires leads to the trigger. One leads to the triggering mechanism. One leads to the trigger guard and one leads to all three. There are also three fake triggers and four fake trigger guards. One trigger looks like a detonator. One looks like a trigger guard. And one trigger looks like a trigger. Dan says, right. Now, about the detonators. You've got eight detonators, but don't let them fool you. They are all fake. <laughs> I, I, I like that moment. I, you know, that's this like classic slapstick. Yeah. Uh, craziness yeah man it's uh, it is classic and then you know after they can't slow down they're foaming up the road the fire department's out in the small town trying to foam up the yes. road which is springfield to, Spring to, what's that it's in springfield oh is that the name of the town yeah yeah the simpsons <laughs> yeah now yeah uh but um they barrel through it and don't slow down and the radio <laughs> transmission from, I guess, the fire department's just like, Cyclops one, why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, go, through all this, go through all this trouble and just uh, <laughs> hang it. Yeah. yeah you know, good joke. And the, the classic moment where Shoulders is calling back to the passengers. He's like, you know, I don't want to alarm you, but there's a bomb on the bus. I mean, <laughs> Hangs up. He's like, "Oh shit!" You know, like, "Oh, I just, I just said what a whole, true Homer Simpson moment." You know, if we're talking about the Simpsons, right? When I, mean, I guess there, there's some comedy tracks kind of thrown in there with the, um, the uh, lounge singer, piano player. Oh yeah, man, classic. So yeah, if I, you that, that was the biggest quote growing up. Which uh, which one? Uh, you know, six months to live. We would sing six months, <laughs> six months to live. Uh, yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm Tommy Joyce. I'll play your choice. And he just like, he's like an <laughs> eavesdropping piano player and anything that you're talking about, he'll just start singing about it. It's always super depressing. Right. <laughs> but he makes it all happy. You know, this guy's got six months to live and he's just like, <laughs> you got the, the, the bard veterinarian doc, the talking bard, to the yeah. guy going to die in a few months. <laughs> yeah. They're having a pity party and Tommy Joyce is lightening the mood, you know. What do you hate? Tell me what you hate. <laughs> um, yeah, Talk about politically incorrect. Incorrect, yeah. <laughs> it's like the seventies just welcome to the Oriental Lounge and they got like a guy dressed up like a you know, uh stereotypical, I guess what they would call a Chinaman. Uh, oh man yeah making yeah, drinks behind the stuff. bar yeah yeah, yeah. it's like what the fuck <laughs> yeah so many wrong things going on there yeah. welcome to the 70s that's a, it's the part of the it's a gag folks right <laughs> yeah, there's so many good moments 
to talk about uh, that we haven't talked about, but there's there's just like good little lines, you know, like uh, in passing, like when Kitty is trying to explain that Dan's a good man to the, the passengers and they think he's like, cause they know he's the person who ate the, the people. They're like, right. she's like, Dan's a good man. He's never eaten a whole person in his life. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then there, so after the bomb went off, they um, had called back to mission control. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, ba- uh, professor Baxter. He said, you gotta, you gotta bypass the inundator. Yeah. So <laughs> The bypass bypass the inundator, and all of a sudden, uh, the climate control goes haywire, mm-hmm. and everybody's like complaining about how cold it is. And I think it was um, uh, Camille. Yeah, she breaks out all of her clothes, and everybody starts getting dressed in all of these ridiculous female clothing. That's her like spring collection. Lots of furs. Yeah, so they can stay warm, and the the uh, the priest. Father Kudos mm-hmm. uh, is wearing some like crazy green feathery type thing and kind starts of, starts to – he gets his faith back. Is that right? He does. He finds his, his faith. And, and he leads them in song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good moment. But yeah, the inundator. I'm not sure what what he was thinking there. I think whatever happened led to them not being able to slow down anymore because the, the brakes, because, you know, they're trying to manually slow the bus down from the cockpit area and it just won't slow down. And Yep, they're trying to fix it with, without having to stop. Right, yeah. Because they can't stop. Yeah. I, I, I like that moment where the bus is careening through the Harbinger curve, basically, and, you know, Shoulders has got his, his legs up trying to – crank on that brake that's not working and dan keeps looking at him he's like he's like it won't it's not working or it won't engage or whatever and dan keeps looking at him he's like are you are you wearing white socks yeah <laughs> why are you wearing white socks with the uniform it's like, all i got it's like i got it's like i i got some extra socks in my in my room i'll give yeah. them to you later <laughs> in that in that moment the socks moment. are the most important uh, oh man <laughs> Yeah, but when when Dan goes and plays the hero, when he's like trying to get up on the the roof, and you know, there's a whole moment where he's like get, getting up on the roof while the bus is moving and trying to reach, us, trying to get to Kitty who's drowning and all that stuff. And then you know, uh, Sally Kellerman and uh, Richard Mulligan's characters, they're they're they want a yeah. divorce. They're getting a divorce, but then they want to get married again. And they're they're he's trying to climb out of the bus. And uh, he, they're like, we need you to marry us, you know? Right. right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, how long have you been divorced? Six hours. Give it a chance. <laughs> give it a chance. <laughs> Just give it a chance. I like give divorce a chance. I love that shit, man. <laughs> but then, but then when he like, get, when he, when he finally meets Kitty and he saves her life or may, you know, literally maybe saved Stalker Channing's life. And they're talking about all of the, why they broke up and he just used to cheat on her all the time, I guess. Right. And the, 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 the dialogue for that is so funny. It's just a, you know, he's like, I would, I would beg them to think of you. And then she, <laughs> she says, but why didn't you beg me to think of me? 
Right. And then he he gets all confused. He's like, "Now I just want to bed you and think of them." <laughs> uh, it's pretty oh, good. Yeah. And then you know they make up and all as yep. well. To go to go back to like towards the some of the ending scene stuff. Mm. Um, they're like hanging on the cliff. Um, there was a scene where um, Kitty Stockard Channing she was trapped in the the kitchen. And they're they're having to like flood the kitchen. They're reversing the flow of the soda pop yep. in order to balance out the bus. Yeah, that's one of my favorite lines. <laughs> what what is it? All right, so yeah, when the so for people, we're kind of jumping ahead, but the bus and this is this this movie, by the way, is the movie Speed. At like this whole scene is the movie Speed because the bomb goes off. They can't go below 45 and they're going on Harbinger Curve, which is where Dan Torrance's dad bit it. It's where his dad died and he's, it's super curvy, but they can't slow down. He's got to drive this big bus and it can't slow down. You know, it's just whatever. Right. Right. Similar concept. The bomb already went off in this case though, but they, um, a, a truck of hillbillies crashes into him and, uh, it, on the front of the bus, and the piano player greets them as they crash through, like, welcome to the Oriental Lounge. <laughs> so all the weights on the front and half the bus is hanging over this cliff. And the back of the bus is teetering off the ground. You know, it's just one of those cl- literal cliffhanger moments. <laughs> and um, when, they, when they're when they there, he's trying to be calm to the passenger. So he calls back. He's like, you know, thank you for... Uh, or he's like, welcome to uh, wherever the fuck they are, something canyon. He's like, we're now stopped at an altitude of 6,200 feet in the front and 6,208 feet in the rear. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for riding Coyote. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love that shit, man. That's good. Because it's, yeah, it's teetering. It's about to well, fall. Well, and his um, solution was they're going to pump the the soda to the back, right? right? They're like, yeah, they're 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 siphoning, or they're yeah, they're all the soda lines. They're flowing them from the the bar, I guess, in the front to the back in the kitchen or something to put all the weight in the back. Right. Yeah. Well, supposedly, uh, Stockard Channing, and I don't, I'm not sure. I couldn't corroborate this claim, but on IMDb, supposedly she said that she nearly drowned in that scene. Hmm. But I couldn't find any other mention of that anywhere else. And again, like I'm not sure I can trust IMDB a hundred percent. Right. Cause you know, people add their own comments and whatnot, but this was part of the trivia section. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I kind of wanted to learn more about that. I mean, cause the whole scene is she's, practically drowning because her foot's caught underneath something supposedly right yeah well during that scene i was actually thinking because that whatever she's getting sloshed around and it's supposed to be just you know soda it's like dark brown cola colored liquid and she she really is getting sloshed around and pushed around and covered in this whatever it is and sliding up and down the floor um as the levels rise, she really is in this gross stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, and I don't know what the, I don't, I don't know. 
I never yeah. liked the taste of mixing all the pop together. I, the, the suicide? Yeah, I never liked that flavor. I don't I you had to get it right. My mom worked at 7-Eleven all growing up, so I would nice. I would go in there and I'd get bored and do it, you know, I'd mix it up. You know, Mountain Dew, Dr. Pepper. Oh, yeah. Sprite uh Coca-Cola mixture, why not? Yeah, I I worked at Dairy Queen in high school, and I I tried every once in a while, but I never I always had to pour it out. I think you got to be a little kid. Yeah, <laughs> you just got to think it's think it's cool as fuck, you know. Right. <laughs> oh man, so we pretty much slaughtered the whole like progression of this film in this discussion. <laughs> yeah, and the the end of the of the film is kind of you know what's going to happen, but there wasn't really a an ending per se. They're driving down the hill and the bus splits and you see a sign for Denver. It says 25 miles. Right. Um, it felt very, I don't know, cliffhanger-ish. Yeah. And, you know, it's like the, I don't know if they wanted to come back, but I, I think the joke is you just leave with the joke. You're like, oh man, these people are just fucked. It's just forever fucked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because doesn't doesn't Naked Gun, um, shit, I forget which one, but Nordberg, O.J. Simpson, it ends with him stuck under a bus and right. it rolls away and he just he can't get out from under that damn bus ever, and that's the end, <laughs> end of the movie, right? Right. <laughs> they leave you wondering. The gag doesn't die. Yeah, but at least you know that they're only twenty five miles away from Denver. They must have made it. Some some of them made it. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting. So that that bus was actually two separate buses that they would put together for filming. So it had an, a second driver that was um, just after the um, the connection. The really, mm -hmm. I wondered how they did that, man. That's what I love because a lot of these shots of the bus are so cool, and some of them are that like when they're driving through the foam, it's super slow-mo. And then mm -hmm. some of them, the truck is ha hanging off the side of the bus, like half of a truck is hanging off of it. And right. it's all real. Like this is all real physical uh, work that was done. And they, it just looks seamless. It's awesome. It looks great. They did such a good job right. creating that bus and filming that bus. Yeah, and I guess I mean they they credited Joel Schiller, the production designer, yeah, for that bus. But they also mentioned at the very end, trailways bus lines. So I, yeah, I think I trailways that. may have had something to do with the the building or the creation of the bus. But this thing, it was like seventy five tons, thirty two wheels, insanely huge. Yeah. But I, I guess it was mainly like the it wasn't really fleshed out inside. Uh, the front, so where, the, where, you, where you could see the big windows in the front where the piano lounge was and mm -hmm. um, the driver's seats, that was it. Everything else was just kind of a shell and they did everything else in the studio. Love it. They look, I don't know. I was just really impressed. They look really good. Yeah. No, I mean, it. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but 250000 was spent on just the bus alone. You can tell. Um, and then they they also used it for the promo, so they they drove it from L.A. to San Diego for the promotion of the film. <laughs> that must have been something to see coming down the highway. Dude, back that's in. so awesome! Yeah. That is so awesome. <laughs> uh, Wikipedia says that there is um, Bus World magazine and uh, Motor Trends. They had articles about the bus back in the day. 
That's cool. That might be kind of cool to look up the photos. Yeah, I mean, just that intro scene that you were talking about with the 2001 song coming out of the hangar, it just, they take their time showing it off. It was functional. It actually drove. Right, exactly. They somehow even made the tires look like they were shooting off into the (laughs) nether. (laughs) I love that that scene where the tire just blows off and it's just so irresponsible. It's hilarious. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, even like the the wash, like, do you really need to wash the bus in the middle? While it's moving, (laughs) the whole bus. (laughs) Just like all these bubbles are like shooting out of the top, like into the air. It's ridiculous. That's what I love about this genre, though. Is it's like it it is a cartoon. You can do whatever you want. It's just the sky is the limit. You there there is no limit. Just any anything goes. If you got a joke, you can make it work. Right. Exactly. The flags of all nations. Yeah, the flags of all nations. <laughs> that was their pop, air break, right? To pop, they pop up all over the bus to create some wind <laughs> resistance to because their brakes won't work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like, kind of like a sail. Right. Flags of all nations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I would just think in terms of influence, I I see uh, upon watching this movie for the first time, and I don't even know how many years. And knowing when it came out and how it was the predecessor to the classics, you know. Oh yeah. It was it was before Airplane. It was before um, Police Squad and Naked Gun and all of that stuff. You can see that there's some influence. I don't know if I'm reading into it too much or. Because, like I said, I think the Jim Abrams and the Zucker brothers were obviously around at this time. I'm sure. Right. I don't know if there was, I don't know. I, I really don't know if they even cared about this movie or I don't know the story at all. Um, one thing that I always thought, or I thought was interesting was when I was watching the movie, Dan Torrance, the character and the way that he was portrayed and played his look in his voice is Bill Pullman's Lone Star in Spaceballs. Oh, yeah. Like, they look, like, the face and the voice and the delivery, it it is Dan Torrance's fucking Lone Star. (laughs) Well, even the airplane, um, who was the actor that that played uh, the main character? They were very similar, too, in the the bravado. You know, they're they're the, the macho leader. Um, but still have like something in like dark in their past or some yeah. personal problems that prevent Absolutely. them from doing what they want to do. Robert Hayes is T- Ted Stryker. I know. I just feel there's, there's a lot of similarities, especially with this movie and airplane. But then again, when you say airplane is a basically a remake of a movie from 1957, uh, it seems obvious to me that the big bus would be borrowing from the plot of what did you say it was called? Zero hour. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, in terms of the big bus, it's they they were making fun of all of the disaster movies. And you know, right. if you watch the trailer, they they mention Towering Inferno, mm-hmm. Earthquake, all of all of the big blockbuster '70s disaster movies. 
Yeah, it just seems like a lot of the characters and the setups and the relationships are very similar to the ones in Airplane. Yeah. You know uh, I mean? like yeah the dynamics are the same. I think the same formula. It's a parody of disaster movies, so it's the same. Well, and that was that was an era, basically. I mean, that, that, that stuff isn't really emulated anymore. Not in the same vein, I feel. Like, maybe... It needs to make a comeback, man. I mean, me and JP used to write down ideas gags we had like a list of gags and our whole plan was just write these movies for the rest of our lives and i never even tried <laughs> nice but uh that's just, these are the types of movies i always wanted to make growing up i think this is why i went to film school is to make the next big bus yeah make the next uh you know make a gun or something yeah was there um was there anything else you wanted to add i, I feel like I, I think i covered my notes on on the movie um, uh there there is i think everyone should know that jerry zucker directed ghost really yeah i didn't know that patrick swayze and demi moore yeah and Whoopi goldberg yeah yeah man that was wow. that was one of the zucker brothers that's the same guy who either wrote, directed, or produced because they all switched, you know, airplane, top secret, naked gun. Same guy directed right. Ghost. But yeah, I mean, that's it. For, that's it for me. I mean, I don't really have anything else. Right. I'll talk all night though, Jeff. I'm oh, hopped yeah. up. I'm hopped well, up on ibuprofen and <laughs> uh, and water. You know, my bladder, <laughs> my bladder's full. Uh-oh. My mind's racing. Well, um, well, how about this? You you are um, in working in the film industry, right? Oh, uh, I was. I mean, I am technically still. Yeah, I, ha- I haven't in uh, well, ten to about ten months because of the old pandemic. You know, situation not um, withstanding. That so, if there is any aspiring filmmakers that are listening to this, what would you tell them? I would tell them if if that is the life you choose, you're gonna have to go all in, 100% commit, because it will be your whole fucking life, pretty much every hour of it. Especially if you are good at what you do, whatever craft you want to go into, it doesn't matter. If you're working on a film production, it will be your life for the length of the production. And if you're really serious about it, uh, I don't know, in a writing sense directing uh, producing uh you don't fuck about you just just move to la or new york uh i mean la is the mothership if you want to break in and really do it for real you you just gotta go you gotta go you gotta go to the big markets man i mean i read that uh because i got into screenwriting and i read a few screenwriting books and god i forget the dudes from the state and uh reno 911 uh, t- Thomas Lennon and the other guy wrote a really hilarious book about screenwriting and they say straight up, don't think about moving anywhere else other than Los Angeles. If you are serious about it, because you need to be available. If you have a meeting, you, I mean, you're, you're dealing with studios. All the studios are in LA. You know what I mean? So uh, don't fuck around, move to LA, just do it, commit. But if you're a fellow like me who never wanted to, live in that city or any other major city and you just like working on set and having fun with your friends, you go to small market towns like Portland or 
New Orleans. Uh, Atlanta's getting real big. You can go to Atlanta. Austin. Vancouver, Canada, if you can get up there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, there's spots. There's film. It's not film anymore, but there's productions everywhere. But yeah, that, that would be my advice. It will be your life. It will possibly ruin your life. But if you want it to be your life, be prepared. and Go make, all in. Make the move. Yeah, man. Make the fucking move. There you have it. Quit fucking about. <laughs> there it is. That's how you do it. Well, thank you, Jason. It's been a pleasure. Um, I would like you to tell me and my potential listeners what your podcast is all about. Oh, my podcast. Okay. My podcast is called Lost Rhetoric, and it is all about me talking to my friends about weird stuff. It's basically uh, Coast to Coast AM for dummies. Like, uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. Sometimes my guests don't know what they're talking about. We just want to talk about it because we have an interest in the paranormal, aliens, UFOs, abductions, conspiracy theories. I did my last episode that just came out last night. It was about the Holy Grail. Ooh. Yeah, you know, whatever whatever me and my friends want to get into, we get into and we discuss it. We have a conversation, do some research, and we just talk about it, you know? Yes, yeah, it's, it's been uh, quite fun. And I, I'm uh, planning on being on another episode sometime. Sometime soon. soon. I'll yeah. let you know, Jeff. Uh, but yeah, you were a very amazing guest. Uh, we did an episode on the McMinnville UFO sighting here in the state of Oregon in 1950. We did a very amazing episode. And then, you know, that's what the show is all about. Stuff like that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Lots of fun. Tune in. Lost yeah. Rhetoric. Yeah, wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. Um, thanks for for being here. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank right. you, man. And there you have it. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please go to your favorite podcast service and leave a review. If you hated it, leave a review. And uh, yeah, the best place to do that is Apple Podcasts. I'm not sure why. I think it's because they were the ones that first uh, made podcasting big. Anywho, tune in again next week when I sit down with my wife, Megan Bugby, and we discuss Lolita, Lolita, Lolita. The two films and a book, and we even throw in a little bit of discussion about the script that Nabokov wrote. So tune in next week. Thanks for joining us. Have a wonderful time, day, night, whatever you are doing now. Peace.